So I have to ask the question that I always like to ask when we do a episode that's themed on location. If we were aliens and the only thing we knew about Earth was these two movies, what is the world and Korea like? Well... Uh, Korea is a pretty messed up place. I know that. It's extremely violent. Like, we know in Italy, bad things are going to happen in the movie theater. But in Korea, anyone, anytime, man, woman, old or young, could hit you over the head. Yeah, I feel like the violence in in the Korean movies is, is way more sadistic than the violence in the Italian movie, even the French movie, maybe not the French movie. Martyrs was pretty, I don't know. That movie was pretty silly. Right. But even, even in a romantic comedy, the people who love you may punish you by making you hold weights above your head for getting bad test scores. Or, or you yeah, may the, play games that involve getting hit in the face. Or in both movies, I saw people getting flicked on the forehead uh, in both. Yeah, in both movies. I would also say, yeah, not only are people extremely violent in Korea, if we only had these two movies as an indicator. I, I want to be fair that, that right. this is not, right. n- nothing that we're saying is is like our just, oh, well, this is clearly what South Korea is like. No, we're aliens and we only know these two movies. But the other thing I think that's a constant thread throughout is if you lose the love of your life and you live in Korea, go ahead and go crazy because it's, it's just expected. Do you, uh, I'm I'm trying to think now, is there a joke? Is there a correlation between like soulmates? Like you only have one soulmate. And then if, if, if you lose them, you might as well just go, go nuts, but also soul, soul Korea. Um, that's the best I got right now. Uh, also in my sassy girl, one of the biggest terms of endearment is, Hey, do you want to die? Do this or you will (laughs) die. I'd be like, wait a minute. Is death a bad thing? Or is it, I, I would probably, if I was an alien, I'd probably think death was a good thing. First of all, my sassy girl, she's constantly threatening with death. And then I saw the devil. Clearly these people like killing. And they even kind of like uh, the the main bad guy even kind of likes the process of being tortured in a sick way. So I, I, w- I would have no idea what to make of death and dying and torture and up is down, left is right. Right. This this country is over <laughs> overrun with warlords, both male and female, who are just ready to punish anyone with death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On that note, should we get into it? Let's do it.
We are Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I happen to be a fan of romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I am a fan of horror movies. Together, each week, Brett picks a horror movie, I pick a rom-com, we make each other watch those movies as, you know, I mean, like the Korean love language, we also enjoy torturing each other. Uh, and then we like to flip-flop those movies and turn that horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror. And I feel like for the first time in a long time, writing these pitches couldn't have been easier. The, all the violence that you could possibly want is already baked into the premise. Uh, there's already a love story. Uh, <laughs> At least for me, I just, you know, barely sweat on this one versus I feel like there have been other ones where it's like, man, I'm really going to have to stretch my creative muscles to turn this into something else. Yeah, I had a hard time with it, but only because I want like the more the ideas flowed easily to me. But then I was like, no, but I want to I want to like do a good one. Like I want to settle on a good one. And so the more I thought about it, the more the just the sillier and crazier it got. So but I think that's kind of the fun things. That's to me some of the fun of watching Korean cinema. I'm a really big believer that if you're a fan of film, you're a fan of TV, allow yourself to watch TV from watch things from other countries, get a sense of everything that's out there. I mean, can you really call yourself a true horror fan? If you haven't watched some Korean horror movies or Asian horror in general, there's, there's just a lot of really incredible stuff out there. And I feel the same way about romance too. I, I, uh, I've mentioned on this podcast in previous episodes uh, Korean dramas that I've watched and they've served as inspiration for some of my premises and uh, my pitches. There is a, a lot of really good writing coming out of Korea and it has a different, it's different from say Western horror and Western rom-coms that I've seen because I feel like, um, I don't know if this is unique to just Korean cinema, but melodrama feels like a more acceptable thing, or it, I feel like it plays out in Korean movies and TV a lot more than it does in Western movies and TV, because I feel like our culture, it not to, to present it as a monolith, but American culture, if we're going to get specific, is ironic, cynical, sarcastic. Uh, I think that's why anti-heroes tend to do so well <laughs> when yeah. it comes to American viewers. But the idea of, you know, just pure, undiluted, romantic love doesn't feel real anymore. <laughs> in an American movie. Yeah. I think the, I think it's really interesting because I, I've been trying to get Sonia to watch broken arrow for a long time. (laughs) 
and Broken Arrow is directed by John Woo. And Sonia's mom loves 90s action movies. She loves practical effects movies. She loves movies starring big actors, like in big roles, who play big personalities. And so Sonia's visiting her her family in Florida and she's like, what's a movie we can watch? And I kept saying broken arrow, broken arrow, broken arrow. And finally, finally, after like a week of me suggesting this movie, she watched it and she was, I watched it with her. So we were texting back and forth and she, she really enjoyed the movie. But one thing I had to kind of remind her a couple of times was like, yeah, John Woo directed this movie. And so you're mixing like, Chinese melodrama with big budget action blockbuster. And it's a weird combination. Like, I think it's even weirder in face off, but you're right. Like the, the melodrama, there's something about Asian storytelling that either invites melodrama more or they, they have it, they use it in a different way because it resonates more with Eastern audiences than I think it does with Western audiences. But that doesn't mean that melodrama. It, the thing that I think is that I reject is the idea that the presence of melodrama means it's unsophisticated or it's yeah. not worth critical consideration, which I think if you're experiencing you know, kind of that Eastern cinema that embraces melodrama, it's easy to think, well, because this isn't like what I've experienced, therefore it's unsophisticated. And that's not the case. So I, I want to be really clear about that. And in fact, it's, it's thing, it's something where, again, I really feel like it, it's that melodrama has just been completely out of fashion in American culture for a really long time. Like Douglas Sirk, for example, wrote some and directed some incredible American melodramas in the 50s and 60s, but that just no longer really resonates. But uh, here I, I really find it refreshing. I like melodrama. As, as a fan of rom-coms, as a fan of romance in general, dramas that are about big feelings yeah. really appeal to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think the melodrama works in both of these movies to the movie's advantages. And it does like, I don't know, I, I could definitely see showing this to a bunch of people and them just completely bouncing off of it. But if, if you can fiddle with your calibration just enough, and if you can get on the same wavelength as these movies... Ah, they're they're both a lot of fun. They're both very silly, but oh, they're yeah. incredibly silly. <laughs> but I, you know, even though we've talked about, I saw the devil. We've joked about it. Uh, I forgot how deeply, deeply disturbing this movie is. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I and and I was actually thinking that uh, my sassy girl would be a palate cleanser. I thought, okay, well, clearly I need to watch I Saw the Devil first so that I can get get through that grueling, disturbing experience, and then I'll palate cleanse with my sassy girl. And then within the first ten minutes of the movie, she violently throws up on a person. And I thought to myself, I'm not, I'm not going to get a break, am I? <laughs> I <laughs> I made the same mistake as you did. And I really wish, like, I, I wish I could have coordinated this better because it would have been interesting to have watched them 
in reverse order. One of us watched it in the other order. Like I have a friend who had never seen old boy. And so when mm-hmm. the American movie came out, I was like, you know, I'm not, cause I saw the American movie and I had, I, I had hopes for it. You know, I was optimistic about it, but it's an American remake of old boy. Like it just doesn't work that well. They need to stop trying to do this. Like they tried to do an American remake of martyrs. And I do feel like there's something, it's just, it didn't need to be done. And there's a way in which if it was done right, why what's the right to do it again? The only exception I would make in that case is the ring, which I think is a really good remake. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There's always exceptions to the rules. Um, But I told this friend, I was like, man, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to promote this, but part of me wants to use you as a, as like an experiment. And like, what if you watched the American version before the Korean version? Like just Mm -hmm. what would that do to your brain? Because I, you know, I saw old boy when that movie came out, I loved it. Like that movie made a big splash when that movie came out. And so it was like, yeah, old boy, fuck. Yeah. This movie's great. This movie's amazing. Whoa. And then the American one came out and like, all right, yeah, all right, this movie's a dud, whatever. But ah, just to to go back and say like, w- would it make a difference? What 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 would happen if you if you could wipe Korean old boy from your brain, watch the American one, and then go back and watch the Korean one? I don't know. Like I feel the same and? way about my sassy girl. I don't know. He never did. He he never. Oh, so I I don't know. I mean, but it seemed like the American my sassy girl was like a shot. I mean, not shot for shot, but I read both synopses, and it basically seems the same. But it feels like the it doesn't when you take the story out of the Korean context, it right. doesn't seem to work because. You know, and and also in the American version, obviously they made the, I say obviously, like it's something I want, but obviously at the time they made the characters in the American version white, but there isn't really a culture of getting set up by family members in that way. Uh, And it just, the, the way that they kind of like behave towards each other just doesn't make as much sense. Also, I think that it, I having watched a few Korean dramas, this idea that somebody could be grieving or in pain and then choose to tell no one anything about it and keep it a secret until, you know, some dramatic reveal that happens in Korean dramas all the time. But people don't hide those things from each other in America like usually like if you're if you're grieving it's very public and everybody knows about it and you've posted 10 Facebook updates the idea that I could grieve or go through cancer and then only reveal to the one I love that I broke up with them because I didn't want them to suffer through my illness after I died is much more of like a a k-drama thing um so I, yeah, I don't know if it really works when you, when you try to translate it. Uh, I think it, it feels very like in the context of the time and the place that the story is written. Also, I learned, I don't know if you knew this, but My Sassy Girl is based on a real story. This guy met this girl on a train 
in Korea. And then he wrote this series of blog posts about their relationship. Sure. And it just like in the movie, his writing got turned into a movie. Uh, I did not know that it was based on a true story. That's. It's like a viral internet story in Korea that turned into this, this whole thing. I, I don't, I don't know what to, I, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the true story now to, to know how sassy the real sassy girl was, but also she must have been extra sassy. (laughs) I'm also, I, I do think I kept, I kept thinking while we, while I was watching my sassy girl, like this is so prime for an American remake, but it would, it, it would have to be completely different you know what i mean yeah like you could tackle the same themes as this movie but if you tried to recreate the movie like beat quirkiness for, beat. for quirkiness beat for beat it would it, it would completely crumble and fall apart right right so you... I, I i do kind of want to watch the remake just to you know maybe i'll watch the trailer i i, I could sit through like three minutes of trailer because <laughs> that's what i did with martyrs i watched martyrs and then it was like oof I wonder if the American one's any better. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, Ooh, that I don't know, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Again, the whole concept of martyrs is very <laughs> French. This right. idea yeah, of yeah. creating material proof for martyrdom as an existential state of being is very philosophical, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, which is so French. Uh, and it's just, it's not, that's not the, like, again, I feel like if you, if you want to know what American psychology is like, listen to the cheerleaders episode, (laughs) (laughs) that that boils it down. Um, but, uh, all right. I, I digress. Where should we start? Uh, I feel like this is, this is your topic. I'm, I'm going to say the balls in your court because I don't. Let's get I, sassy first. All right, yeah, let's, let's get let's sassy. Revert, let's reverse it. Uh, we watched I Saw the Devil first and Sassy second, and now we're going to talk about my sassy first and leave the best and deeply disturbing for last. All right, tell us, tell us the tale of this very sassy girl. Uh, oh, yeah, before I start, is there is there a specific reason why this movie this week, My Sassy Girl... You had a craving? Well, I had wanted to do a Korean episode for a long time because I I really love Korean rom-coms and I think that they're just doing it right. Like they're year after year churning out mini series and shows that that are really charming and well-written. And then I knew about My Sassy Girl just because it had been mentioned so many times in lists and roundups. Uh, and also, I think this might be one of the highest grossing comedies in Asia of all time or something. Like, it was like a mega hit when it came out. And it was a hit in Korea, China, Japan. And then it's had remakes in all of those countries and in India. And obviously, there was an American remake, too. So it was it was a phenomenon. Yeah, I had never, I'd never heard of this one. I'd never heard of Job We Met. You've, you've got your finger on the pulse of international rom-comery. 
I think that it's important. If you're if yeah. you're going to be a genre fan, expose yourself to everything that's out there. Don't just limit yourself to Hollywood's imagination or else you won't really see what truly creative things are out there because this is so different from an American rom-com in in almost every way. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> Um, I, I have, I have, I have bigger thoughts on part two, but this movie opens with a part one. I know similar to job we met. I think that (laughs) Asian movies in general are simply longer. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this movie has a part one. Uh, the, the film tells the love story of male engineering college student, Jian Wu and quote unquote, the girl. Jian Wu just cannot seem to catch a romantic break. Um, and their personalities stand opposite to the characteristics traditionally associated with masculinity and femininity, femininity in Asian societies in general. So we start off one day at dinner and with drinks with his college friends. Jian Wu is interrupted by a call from his mother telling him to visit his aunt and meet a potential date. Ooh. At the train station, however, on the way to his aunt's, he observes a drunk girl standing very close to the edge of the train platform as the train approaches. So what does he do? He pulls her to safety just in time. Uh, Once inside the train, he's kind of going over about how he's not really into this type of girl. He's actively disgusted by her. Yes. (laughs) And so she's just kind of being very drunk. Finally, she throws up on a passenger and then she calls out for Jian Wu and says, Honey. So all the passengers think that Jian Wu and this girl are connected, dating, something, even though, I mean, this is like, this is American me just going like, they've been on the train for how many minutes and they haven't talked to each other once. And then she throws up and says one word to him. And next thing you know, he's in charge of her. But if you can, words are important in this culture. if, if, If you can push that aside for just, it's like having to swallow a pill. You know what I mean? That's like really chalky and kind of big and it's tough to swallow at first. But then you're like, oh, wait, this is just really Asian. Like, it's just really anime. The fact that he's got to all of a sudden take care of this strange girl and, and you know. It, it is. But like, I would think about it like this, where Korean, the language has levels of politeness and that right. demonstrates how close you are, whether you're older or younger than someone, rank. And then her basically just saying that one word, honey, darling, yabo, uh, I think is what she says. Um, it basically just with one word, it's like, oh, they're together because they talk to each other that way. If she talks to him that way, then clearly right. they're together. Yeah. So, you know, so this is basically a cartoon. The the more it got into cartoony territory, the more I was like, oh, okay, it's just this, it's a cartoon. It's got silent movie music. And there yeah, are yeah, fast yeah. forward sequences. It's very, it's Benny Hill influenced, for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so once I did kind of catch on to that, I was like, all right, I'm not, I don't have to be super critical about every little thing in this movie. But I did think it was funny that it took me, took me a little bit to get there. Uh, so the girl's passed out. He leaves her at the platform, but then he's, you know, he can't just leave a girl at the platform. So he, he piggyback, he piggybacks her to a hotel. This uh, is a trope, by the way. This happens all the time in Korean dramas. Going to the hotel or piggybacking? Um, the piggybacking. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know if this is a thing that actual Korean guys do, and I'm not going to get my hopes up, but <laughs> it happens in dramas all the time. Uh, interesting to know. Uh, he gives... Um, uh, her phone rings, and so he answers it, and... All of a sudden, without warning, the police raid the room and Jian Wu gets maced and sent to jail. And uh, very bizarre. You don't really know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> so he's sent home from jail the next morning. And to his surprise, he gets a phone call from the girl who demands they meet by the train station so she can figure out what happened the night before. Um, the, once they do kind of meet up, they, the girl admits to breaking up with her boyfriend the day before and the way that she, she gets through this painful experience is to drink more, which means he's got to she passes out again he's got to bring her back to the hotel and thus we kind of begin this relationship with the girl uh and all the antics that come with it after the second overnight stay at the hotel she begins to become a more active part in his life she visits john woo in school and pulls him out of class telling the teacher that john woo is the father of her soon-to-be aborted baby and it's, just, it's so messed up. It's again, this is one of those things where like, okay, I, I got to turn off real life brain and go into cartoon anime brain. Um, yeah. So the girl, her, her mood swings go, you know, they range from just kind of like playful to pretty much downright violent and extremely abusive. She's plainly sadistic, but I mean, right. you know, watching this movie, I definitely had the thought that there are, there is a guy, there are multiple guys out there who would willingly, gladly, lovingly enter into an arrangement with the girl. Oh, I have no doubt about that. <laughs> um, and so we get, we get these little, like, we get these little scenes of her screenplays. Apparently she wants to be a writer and she so does she, pitches like we do. Yeah, she does little pitches, and all the stories are kind of these cool little asides in different um, in different genres. So we get to brush into different genre territory, and it's like cute and fun. And all three of the the movies that she writes have a, a common theme, which is the girl is from the future. So this is where there's some kind of deleted scene i'm missing or something but basically she says hey my birthday's coming up you gotta do something special for my birthday and then uh he takes her to an amusement park where he's got some stuff kind of set up on the side some special surprises and at the amusement park we have this extended scene where this awol soldier holds them hostage 
and rants about misery and being jilted. Am I missing something here? Did this just show up out of nowhere? Or I had the same thoughts where I was so confused by the presence of this soldier, even though I understand that all Korean men go through military service, like this is just a part of life. Uh, right. In fact, they're they're making fun of uh, Jungwoo because he was an accountant or like a paper pusher when he was in the military. Um, yeah, so I guess that this guy just decided to go crazy and go to the amusement park. But yes, we have a rom com where not the plot of the movie, but just a vignette is an actual hostage situation. Very bizarre, uh, but it has a happy ending, right? The guy lives, he, he finds purpose for his life, and um, and we, we end part one with these fireworks and explosions and this, this idea that the relationship is going to blossom. And then we get to part two, and I have to say, I had to take a break from the movie. <laughs> the moment part two came up, I was like, oh shit, I for- I completely forgot that this w- w- had a part one. And then now you're telling me there's a part two. And that's when the runtime really clicked in for me, where I was like, this is two hours and 21 minutes. And we're just getting at part two. Nothing has happened yet in this whole movie. Like, <laughs> nothing has happened yet. I just needed Aside to take a break. from them almost dying. If, if I watched part two immediately after part one, part two would have been completely tainted with extreme cynicism. So I went to bed. I took a nap. <laughs> I woke up. I got my snacks. And I rebooted the movie up for part two. So I just have to say, I, I, I ultimately am, am pretty light and fun on this movie. But... When that part two came up, I almost launched my remote through the TV. I was like, I was so infuriated. I can see that if you sprang this on your partner as a date night movie and you decided not to tell them that it was two hours and 20 minutes, that there were multiple parts... Uh, I I could expect that kind of reaction. Uh, I... uh, I, I've withheld details of how long an activity was going to take <laughs> from my partner before and have definitely suffered the consequences. So be be transparent. Well, <laughs> I mean, you I want had, people to watch long movies with you. I mean, I had no idea that like, because there, there were a few. Neither things, did I. I thought this movie was only two hours because there were there were a few things on IMDb. I must have watched, looked at one of the wrong runtimes for one of the wrong versions or the sequel or something. I thought this movie was two or under. And I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. But yeah, so part two. All right, here we go. Jian Wu, um, he is starting to show her affection. The two are starting to grow closer. After a day of hanging out, he walks her home in the pouring rain, and she demand and she demands that he meet her father, who is a habitual drinker. Her parents do not take to Jianwu, 
And on leaving, he hears, and her dad takes like three shots of alcohol and just immediately passes out. So there's like, he's a lightweight like her. This movie does have a lot of funny stuff in it, but uh, again, some of the, some of the stuff was a bit infuriating. Some of it was just plain out confusing. I don't know, but there's a lot of funny stuff like the dad, um, the dad being the drinker and having the same habits as her is funny. Uh, and so her parents do not take to John Wu and on leaving, he hears an impassioned argument between the girl and her mother. And he does not hear for her for quite some time and his life without her begins. One day, however, the girl calls him out of the blue and just tells him to bring a rose during class. She attends an all girls college to commemorate their 100th day anniversary. Uh, Which he, is a thing. Right. And so he does this leading to a touching romantic scene where he arrives in a disguise as a food delivery person into a packed auditorium and watches her play uh, some classical music. I'm sure you... Ponka Bell's Canon, which <laughs> uh, is seriously, Ponka Bell's Canon is one of the most overplayed pieces of classical music ever. They play it at every graduation and... I wish it would die forever. Aww. I I hate Pachelbel's Canon. It's it's Poor awful. Pachelbel. And you know what? You know who else hates Pachelbel's Canon? Musicians playing Pachelbel's Canon is even worse than having to listen to Pachelbel's Canon. Well, you know what? I'm not a musician, and I think it's a lovely song. And I think the girl's rendition of it is even lovelier. She has some flares. She makes it less boring. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and so he, <laughs> he presents her the rose and they hug and the classmates applaud. And it is the biggest, most grandest romantic gesture. And it's amazing. And then as part of their celebration, they dress up in their high school uniforms and go to all these different bars. And she gets drunk and Jianwoo carries her on his back. Uh, some stranger slips him a condom. So, of course, when he drops her off at her house and the parents are like, oh, empty your pockets, and then the condom falls out, and he's like, ah, you've got to break up. So they break up. The girl does not contact him again, and John Woo naturally thinks they have broken up until, again, seemingly out of the blue, she just calls him and asks him to meet her for dinner as she is on a blind date. Very weird. He He's also kind of on a blind date, but he goes to her and he basically tells the blind date like, hey, she's the best girl in the world. Do all of these things for her. And then while the while she's in the bathroom, you know, he's like, hey, do all these things for her. You know, do, do she likes it this way. She likes this thing this way. Do this. Do that. Practice your squash and kendo. Uh, and then he leaves. And then the the. The girl comes back in the blind dates like, hey, this guy just told me all these crazy things. And she's like, oh, he must love me. So they have this incredibly weird cross path, like the, the running to the airport scene, the big running to the airport scene. But it's just like like your name, right? Where they keep missing each other. But Oh, your name earned it. This movie does not. <laughs> Like, I think this is just one of those things where maybe people who don't, who aren't, I, I, I don't, I don't know the people who, who wrote this movie, but 
it, it just seems like one of those things where like, it seems like something we have to put in there rather than something the story needed. And it just like, yeah, I, I can't fault the movie for having a big, you know, run to the airport scene, you know, got a running clock, got to catch your lover or else you'll never meet them or see them again. Like I totally, I get a lot of the decisions in this movie, but it's Romantic just suspense is fun. It's just, I, I don't think the execution for most of it worked for me. Uh, I, I don't know. This scene was just, it was too long. It was just, this movie's two hours and 21 minutes. The both big movies running are airport. too long. Both movies are way too long. Both, both movies are way too long. <laughs> so they reunite uh, at the... Um, at the office where she's making announcements. Once reunited, they realize they're, they're at a turning point in their relationship. Uh, and then again, the girl withholding all this, this information decides that it's time for them to part. So she, she has them write two letters in a time capsule, bury it under a tree. And then they're like two years later, which is where we open the movie, you know, on the, you know, two years. Right. Uh, he, they, they bury the time capsule. They go their separate ways. Oh my god! <laughs> Is this just unbelievable to you? When, when when I was ready for the movie to end, and then and then when overtime came up, it was almost like uh, it, it was the the Anchorman meme. I was like, I'm not even mad. Like that's impressive. Like you're gonna have a 20 minute overtime because I had to check the time, and I was like, 20 freaking minutes. I don't even want to go through what happens in the overtime. If you want to recap what happens, you can. But basically, they end up getting together. And the the aunt at the beginning of the movie, when he was going to go meet his aunt and get set up with the girl, this was the girl. And so it's like, it's cute. Okay, but explain why she... You have to explain. You are missing the entire you reason. It. You explain oh, it. You, no, you'll do a better job at doing it because I feel like you you are more familiar with Korean melodrama. You're a girl. I feel like you would do a better job. I let me just say I hated every last bit of the last 21 minutes of this movie. So I in Brett's version <laughs> of the perfect ending of My Sassy Girl. They kiss and make up at the terminal and the movie ends. That's, that's so, your version. So many, it was, what's the, what was the Hugh Grant Notting Hill one where it's like, you don't, you don't need to do the extra. You don't need to go for the extra scene at the end for the extra romance. Like just, just give me the regular romance. I, I think some people just really want to go big. Like when they tell a rom-com, they're like, no. Two chases, three chases, time this movie, jump. This movie has a lot in common with Hob We Met, where or Job We Met, where it's yeah, that movie also probably should have ended sooner, and it, it it went for this extended. We're gonna draw out the big grand romantic gesture at the end ending. Yeah, but I mean, it just it's it's Ugh. different. Okay, so here, I'll let me take over and explain. Why the girl is behaving the way that she's got some explaining to do. Well, it turns out the girl has borderline personality disorder. Uh, Just kidding. That would be the the Western version. Right. (laughs) Uh, No. It turns out that the girl's boyfriend died. And the day that uh, Jungwoo met her was the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of his death. 
And every weird thing she did in the relationship was basically to make John Woo into a copy of her dead boyfriend. She vertigoed him. Mm-hmm. You know, vertigo when Jimmy Stewart picks a random girl and is like, I want you to be that dead woman I'm obsessed with. And then, of course, it, you know. But, right. yeah, so she vertigoed him. And then she felt really guilty about it. Uh, and she, in her letter, revealed that if she didn't show up in two years, it would mean that she hasn't been able to get over her dead boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So the two years pass. John Blue goes to the time capsule. He learns all about this stuff. He writes the blog posts and all of that. Uh, and then... Finally, he fulfills his mother's request to go see his aunt, who he refused to see in the beginning of the movie because he didn't want her to pinch his cheeks or some stuff. Uh, and when he shows up, so does the girl. And it turns out that since the first half of the movie, the aunt has been trying to set them up. I think it's, I think it's great. I, I, I totally get it. I think it's, I, I just, I don't know. I'm more interested in, I, I, I feel like, I feel like trying to make someone a carbon copy of your previous boyfriend or girlfriend is, I think that's a very interesting movie. And this, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't think that that's the kind of thing that I would save for a final 20 minute. Our story is just now wrapping up big twist moment. But like you said, this is a Korean rom-com melodrama. Like it, it does things different. So I just, I I just think 21 minutes is maybe a little bit too long. I, it was welcome. I was not into it, but I think it is, you know, like ultimately it is really cute. How, you know, she's just being this, she's, it's almost like she's trying to push him away, but the more she tries to push him away, the the more they end up liking each other. And, and, and like, what do you do? Like, what do you do when you love someone and that someone is gone and then you want to love someone else? Like, it feels like a betrayal to that other person, but also it's like, I loved these things. Like, how, how will I ever learn to love these little quirks about other people? Again? Like, I, again, I think the movie is great but oh my god overtime like first of all first half second half overtime was there a sports theme in this movie that i was missing like (laughs) what so i i just i i I, this movie is a a korean movie and that's for better or worse (laughs) it is a korean movie i am a white american male there are some things that just don't mix but ultimately i thought this are you saying that you're against miscegenation oh yeah big time time. (laughs) no i'm i'm just kidding unless it's unless it's with uh the spicy latinas sonia santa maria is my significant other so some 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 mixing is okay (laughs) uh I, I don't know. Like uh, there, there were a lot of great little moments in this movie, but I'm curious to know, like overall, how this ranks in the sort of pantheon of of rom coms for you. 
this movie was so weird. So weird. Compared to even the Korean rom-coms I've seen in the past. And some of the Korean rom-coms I've watched are really, really weird. Um, but, but yeah, this, this was completely bizarre. Um, but also really charming. And, um, later in the episode, I have a K drama recommendation featuring the actor who played, I don't know if it's Gyeongwoo or Jongwoo. If I said it wrong, I apologize. Um, but I, I think that he's really sweet. Mm-hmm. in in the role and and he kind of has this comedic male lead quality that's really fun um and then of course my sassy girl is is great as well um i i don't know i i liked the movie but it wasn't it's definitely not among my very favorite korean rom-coms um, like I don't have feelings about this, like I do about a drama that I've talked about in the past, Biscuit Teacher Star Candy, as it's improbably translated, or it's also translated as Hello, My Teacher. But, um, you know, there's, there's definitely been other stories that resonated with me more. Now, the thing that I really liked about this movie, and I wished that they had leaned into it a lot more, were the girls' film synopses. Oh, I, yeah. I would have loved to have, you know, I don't even know how many more, two, three, five more synopses, or just the whole movie being her synopses. I, I would have loved that. What was your favorite of her movies? I liked the um, the the specific part that I really liked was the wanted poster, um, the martial arts movie. Yeah, when the wanted poster blew and f- smacked that guy in the face, and it was like that's his face. I was like, that's a really clever gag. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's the first time that gag's ever been done. I can't imagine, but it's got to be a trope. Time. That's the it, first time I've seen it. Uh, or at least it's the first time in a long time I've seen it because I I was legit laughing at that. That was very like the execution of it was very good. Um, I don't know, but yeah, for me, I've, I I feel like for for every for every extremely dumb thing, there was like an extremely funny thing. So like, there's this joke where he walks into the wrong hotel room for some reason, like, and it's just like a it's it it's it's Again, I'm like, did I miss something? You know, like he just walks in, sees this girl in bed. She screams. The guy comes out of the bathroom. He yells. And then, what happened? Uh, there, there's, I just didn't get it. There's a, a moment where, um, oh, the, the prisoners, when, you know, the gang. Oh, the, the gang in prison that keeps beating the shit out of him. I just, I, that that whole thing didn't work for me. I just didn't get it. But there were little moments like the, uh, the, Hey, let's play this game where if someone steps over the line with their left foot, I smack you right foot, you smack me. And then the army people come through and then the guy with no right foot comes through. And I was like, Holy shit. Like, this is really funny. Like this is, this is really funny. And it like, there's just little moments like that, that kind of, you know, 
the yeah. scenes that you're pointing out are precisely the scenes that make me want to convince people you need to watch movies like this because right. as a writer, I think that there's like, we kind of talk about it sometimes, like whether or not we're watching rom-com TM territory movies that seem like big tent, you know, just completely cookie cutter pictures versus things that feel a little more original and different. There are different tools that you can use as a writer to make things feel fresh and different. And I think one of the tools that you see more in this movie than say, an American rom-com is the sort of willingness to be more vicious in execution, to be a little bit more bombastic, hyper-reality in a way that's more, for lack of a better term, muscular than I think the sort of soft throthiness that you get from an American movie. Yeah, definitely gave me uh what was the Ben Foster high school movie we watched? Uh Get Over It, where it seems very influenced by cinema, right? Yeah, definitely gave me some some get over it vibes, which is like, oh, there's a lot of really cool stuff here. I just this movie's not for me. Um But a lot of stuff to like. You know what I will say though, what this what is for me. Have you ever seen Fooly Cooly? Yeah. Oh my god! I never did. You ever see season two? Um, I don't think I saw season two, but she kind of has a similar vibe where it's it's not so much that she's like there's the manic pixie dream girl trope, and then there's the candy trope, which is just the sweetheart. But just to be an unrelenting badass with no interest in being soft to the male character, yeah, that's a type. Fooly Cooly is right up my alley. So again, like I think this movie had a lot in common with Fooly Cooly just in terms of like, oh, they're going for all these different styles. They're they're going for this girl who is very like in charge and and guides the the pushover young male on this journey and like I I but Fooly Cooly is is my jam. This is like, oh, this, you know, this is not, this is not my jam. But it, I, I definitely liked watching it. Um, once I took a break, I liked watching it. Makes sense to me. So I gotta ask, who would you kill from my sassy girl? Oh, uh, you go first. Oh, that's really tough for me. I don't know who I want to kill. I'm tempted to kill the girl because she causes a lot of violence wherever she goes. Um, but who? I don't know. Maybe the mob boss guy who keeps beating people up. But I don't know. Nobody really deserves to die in this movie so much. Maybe I would kill the main guy to put him out of his misery. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess for for lack of better choices, I'll I'll choose the mob guy. Okay. Okay. Um, I I don't know. I feel like. Hmm, I feel like maybe I I feel like there's there's something that happened in the movie where like they keep ragging on him about his girlfriend. Does don't his friends kind of like give him a hard time 
about the girl. Well, they keep right? asking him about her. I don't know. I feel like there was a scene in the movie where they, they kind of, like, once they finally meet her, they're like, oh, ooh, they're, like, giving him a hard time. I would kill the friends. <laughs> I, I don't need him in the story. I don't. There's also that really weird scene where he's out at lunch with them, and then he's like, "I'm gonna go hit on this girl so that I so that I'm technically taken, and this other girl can't ever follow me." And then he goes to hit on the girl, but it's the girl. And then we get this weird extended flashback scene where it's like one hour previous, boop, 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 boop. and it's like, how? I don't know, man. That whole sequence baffled me. <laughs> Very confusing. Very confusing. I, I agree on that. Uh, so I'm really curious to know now that you said that this came really easy to you. What what themes you pulled from My Sassy Girl for your horror version and uh, and what what horror genre you went down? Because there's lots of lots of different avenues to take this one. Ooh. Well, I would say that so I did several things. Number one, I pulled a Brett and I made something that was more of an action movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I incorporated the time travel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I embraced the melodrama. All right. So I- the name of this movie is My Assassin Girl. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so, Gion or John? Gion? I'm going to, I don't know. I should have, I really meant to before this episode to do all of my name pronunciation Googling, which I always do when I'm meeting with a client. Um, but on a podcast, I'm more relaxed. But we'll just say John Wu and Mea Culpa if we're wrong. Um, he's a college student. Uh, and at a tra- and he's standing at a train station when suddenly a bunch of men in suits with guns flood the station and start coming at him. They're telling him he's going to pay. He has no idea what's going on. And then that's when a girl drops from above, Mission Impossible style, and starts taking out the suits. She grabs John Woo and they escape. The girl doesn't tell John Woo her name, but it's clear that she's an assassin based on the ridiculous number of weapons and gadgets she appears to have. John Woo is in shock. He asked the girl why she had to kill all of them. So this is kind of similar to Night and Day, where she's she's the um, she's the Tom Cruise. Right. Uh, she tells him that he's not safe without her. And then she's going to be forced to do things that he doesn't like if he doesn't want her protection. Uh, and he's like, like what? And then she knocks him out. And John Woo wakes up naked on the floor of a hotel room with the girl seemingly passed out on the bed. The police arrest John Woo. John Woo is scared, angry, and then he vows to run if he ever sees the girl again. Uh, and while they're driving to the police station, men on motorcycles with guns begin flanking the vehicle. Uh, he tries to get the cops to to look out. Um, but it's too late. Uh, one of the motorcycles pulls in front of the cop car and shoots the drivers. So John Woo's freaking out. He's that's, and then that's when the girl swings through the car, pushes over the bodies and takes the driver's seat. And she's like, Oh, are you happy to see me? And John Woo, who's crying at this point is saying, no, this is crazy. You're crazy. 
but then the girl dispatches the bad guys in a really cool way. Uh, and then she takes him to a safe house in the mountains and explains that the men are, why the men are after John Woo. So the girl is from the future. And mm. in the future, John Woo is the leader of a league of assassins uh, after a hit on the head of a major global corporation, which we'll say is basically Jeff Bezos and Amazon, but you know, it will, will make it fictional. Um, uh, but, but after he kills this really powerful guy, the son of the dead guy uses the corporation's vast resources to build a time machine so that he can get revenge on Gyeon Wu. And they've traveled back to this year uh, because it's before Gyeon Wu has grown strong. Uh, so, you know, John Connor style, they want to kill him before he's come to power. Uh, John Woo, he just cannot believe this. Him, the leader of the League of Assassins, time travel, it's just all crazy. Um, but the girl just doesn't have time for this. She tells John Woo, your training begins today, and we launch into the training montage that has to come in a movie like this. So we get to see John Woo slowly more from spineless, cowardly loser into a badass. And then as in between trainings, he and the girl get closer. She reveals that she loved a man that was killed. Uh, and she also looks really meaningfully at John Woo, but he doesn't get the significance. Uh, and then he muses that, oh, maybe you can stop it since you can time travel. And she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to try. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> right. You see, I'm not like the Koreans. I, you know me by now to know I don't do twists. Right. I want everybody to be fully aware of what I plan at all times because it's the dread. I want to get you with the dread of what you know, not the twist and the surprise. Um, so <laughs> Gyeongwoo slowly grows to be more badass. And then finally they sleep together. It's really passionate and emotional. And then the next day the bad guys come uh, and then they have to fight their way out, and it seems like they're going to make it out, but then the girl gets shot fatally. Uh, and then as she's dying, she tells John Wu that she loves him. And then, of course, he screams and just goes berserk and just kills all the remaining bad guys. Like he's he has transformed this this death, like like Batman's parents or right. Uncle Ben was it was just everything he needed to become the hero. Um, so he swears revenge and then begins building the league to take down the organization that killed her because, you know, it's a cycle. They came back in time to kill him and now he's going into the future to kill them. Uh, it's, it's just as confusing as every other time travel narrative. Um, so now we get a three year time break. John Woo is rising in the criminal underworld and is adding assassins to his league when he receives the profile of a new hire and it's the girl. Uh, and she's a little younger than she was when he met her. And then now he realizes that the person who she was talking about was obviously him. So now he's 
just like she was with him romancing her knowing that they had this relationship, but she doesn't know. And maybe we can have like a funny little thing. Like the first time they have sex again, she's like, who taught you how to do all this stuff? And he's like, you did. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then now he realizes, well, he has to stop her death. Uh, and to do that, he needs to make sure that the boss doesn't get killed. But through some tragic Shakespearean miscommunication, the team still carries out the murder and John Woo comes on the scene just in time uh, to block the girl from getting shot fatally. So he takes he takes the shot. And then also, I, again, this is all really fuzzy for me because I have to make it work for this whole time travel thing. But just as he is dying... The son and the henchmen are going through the time portal to go back in time and stop him from killing the boss. Uh, and John Woo tries to get the girl to not go after them uh, because she wants to go after them to save him, obviously. Uh, and he realizes that he can't stop her from going uh and when she says i'm going to save you he tells her you always do Aww. and so it's both loving and tragic it's just like the shower story <laughs> he 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 has to die she has to die and they're locked into this eternal time loop of revenge I like that. Yeah, revenge is cyclical. Love and relationships are cyclical. Yeah, let's mash those up. Exactly. Good I like it. My assassin girl. My All assassin right. Girl. Give it to me. How'd you turn this into a horror? All right. Well, uh, I'm going to have to explain the themes <laughs> because this has nothing to do with my sassy girl. Uh, I've got two two titles. You could either go Undying Faith, which is like, all right, or My Corrupt Crusade. Uh, maybe a little better. I like the second title. Yeah, me too. Um, and so I'm thinking like, I, 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 I really don't have like a good medieval fantasy movie or show that I like. Never got into Lord of the Rings. Never got into Game of Thrones. I, but like, I, I, I want to have one that I can watch. So I'm going to make one now. And this is going to be like a medieval fantasy world. Right. And the, the themes that I pulled from my sassy girl are the, the main character is kind of forced to be someone that he's not. And there's this idea of destiny and stuff that's out of his control. Like it's not really his destiny to be with her but then it is his destiny to be with her. And then like he's trying to fight the destiny at first, but then he's like giving into the destiny. So there's a lot of gaslighting, a lot of grooming and that that's very prime sort of stalker material horror movie stuff. But I wanted to go with like, in this movie, she betrays him. Right, she kind of lies to him. But relationships are built on the the fundamental building blocks of communication, and she is not communicating to him one of the big things that needs to be communicated. 
So, so how, right. how how can how can they be together if if she's not totally there with him? But it's a rom com, so at the end it all works out. In a horror movie, at the end it would not all work out. So I don't have like a a very specific plot that I'm going to go through. This is more of a soft pitch. I'm thinking of like a priest and a knight. So the two people that I'm going to go with are Tom Wilkinson and Michael Fassbender, right? Because now you can immediately picture who these characters are. These are very brooding characters who can give very eloquent, eloquent monologues about like honor and duty and death and dying, all that juicy, juicy stuff that, that I like in my actiony horror movies. Uh, and we're going to start off with like a legendary soldier, this epic good versus evil thing. And so we, we have this idea of this legendary soldier and maybe it's told in a very stylistic way. And so it's clear that someone's telling the story and then we cut to later and it's Tom Wilkinson, Michael Fassbender, Michael Fassbender. They're both priests, but Tom Wilkinson is like higher up on the priest chain. So Bishop or Cardinal or whatever. And Michael Fassbender is like a brand new priest, but he's sent on this crusade and it's like a super secret mission by Tom Wilkinson. So he's, he's sent on this crusade where he's got to like, go stop the evil people from raising the evil bad guy. And in order to do that, he's got to like, he's got to assemble. It's like the Avengers, right? He's got to assemble the armor, the ancient armor that was used to defeat the great. Collect the tokens. Right. So all of the tokens are kind of metaphors. He's got to get a sword, a helmet, a breastplate, a shield, and a Holy cross. So I'm thinking when he goes to get the sword, it all takes place in this magical world of whatever. And so when he's got to go get the sword, he's got to go get it through violence. But when he get, he's got to go get the helmet, the helmet is maybe more like politics. You know how back in like old America days, they used to wear wigs all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, what if, what if in this day and age in medieval times, instead of wearing wigs to their politics, they wore helmets and so this guy has to like figure out which helmet is the corrupt helmet because it's you know I, I don't know it there's puzzles I, I didn't work it out. Does the corrupted helmet turn the wearer into a kind of Manchurian candidate? Yeah, yeah. So that's the the idea is that like the person is using the helmet, but they're like blending in and they're trying to corrupt the world from the inside. Whereas maybe the guy who's got the sword is trying to corrupt the world from the outside through violence. The breastplate guy is kind of like a, a cult, you know, and like maybe he, he wears it like a ceremonial piece of armor and the original symbols on the on the breastplate now mean something else. He's perverted them to mean something else. Uh, the shield is like maybe it's just this empty field of nothingness and this monk type character is just sitting in an empty field and our character has to like torture him to find out where the shield is. But it's one of those, you know, like fifth element the stones are in me like he says something and it's like oh basically he's sitting on it the shield is right under him you know you're you're meant Mm. to think maybe maybe it's buried somewhere in this expansive desolate field and you're gonna spend millions of years trying to dig it up and look for it but really it's just under me the whole time you know something silly like that And then finally the cross is like, where am I going to get the cross? And then Tom Wilkinson is like, I have the cross. And so it's like a double cross. You know what I mean? 
So <laughs> double like, cross. cross. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's like, the, again, I don't have a plot, but the, the idea is that the closer he gets to his goal, the bleaker things are becoming. And he is being told that the bleak things are happening as like a countdown to the apocalypse. Like if you don't stop this thing from happening, then the bleak things will continue when in reality, the bleak things are happening because he is removing the armor from its ancient protectors. So I'm sure you played shadow of the Colossus, right? Uh, a long, long time ago, but yeah, I, I get, right. I get that. Yeah. So that theme of like, I'm going out there to kill the big bad guys, but oh wait, I don't think I'm killing the big bad guys. I think I am the bad guy. We we, we get into that territory. So Michael Fassbender has now realized he's been groomed to basically assemble this armor, and then he's like, "Shit, I just gave the bad guy the ultimate weapon." So then the armor, which is bathed in the blood of his enemies, like. He, the only way to defeat the evil monster is with the armor, but what happens if the evil monster is wearing the armor? It's like, whoa! So then, ultimately, because Michael Fassbender's been killing people this whole time, something about being bathed in the blood of your enemies gives Michael Fassbender the evil power to destroy the evil power. Like, you know, just something about you know, violence begets violence and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm thinking like at the end, maybe the cult comes back from when he had to steal the breastplate and there's this cult thing. And so the whole thing is about good versus evil. We can make it very Catholic dealing with like angels and demons. But then because I'm, I'm watching Lovecraft country, right? So I'm like hooked on this cosmic horror. I'm thinking throughout the entire thing, we have these little breadcrumbs of cosmic horror and the end of the movie ends with Michael Fassbender using his like my hands are bathed in the blood of enemies so I have the power to unleash the ultimate evil and he unleashes this ultimate cosmic horror on the land and basically wipes everyone out because what he realizes is not everyone is worth saving in fact pretty much everyone is worth killing uh the people that I tried to save are, are trying to fight me. The people that I'm trying to help have betrayed me. So he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Cthulhu monster. The end. And that's, so it ends on a very <laughs> bleak cosmic horror note. Oh, like cabin in the woods. Right, 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 right. And your movie, I, I put this in my notes for my movie, but I think it's much more appropriate for your movie. Did you ever see Versus? The Japanese um, oh, action Oh, yes, movie. where they end up in the forest where the zombies come. Yeah, and it's like time travel, and it's like who you what, what side you think you're on isn't really what side you're on, and it's action, and it's got, uh, I, I'm sure I'm butchering his name, I'm doing it from memory, uh, Ryuhei Kitamura, the guy who did Midnight Meat Train. He's the director oh. of Versus, so it's like, stylish as fuck and it's got great martial arts it's got great gunplay got great kills got great uh hand-to-hand combat and it's silly and goofy it's basically a live action anime so if shira's movie sounds interesting go watch versus because that's a good movie and your movie sounds very much like it (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely has some of that, that flavoring to it. Um, uh, yeah, no, I just, I feel like uh, there's, there's just something fun about an Eastern action movie. Yeah. And yeah, versus is super Eastern. It's, <laughs> it just feels, feels very Eastern, um, but it's good. So Yeah. I like it. I feel like if I were to make your movie more like an anime that I would watch, (laughs) I would change Michael Fassbender into the girl and then make all the armor piece bearers into hot guys. And then instead of her fighting and killing them, she assembles them as her hot reverse harem. And then they defeat the villain with love. Yeah, my sassy harem. <laughs> I could definitely, I like that sounds like an anime. Like, yes, take my pitch and turn it into the perfect sassy Girly harem anime. anime. I, I, <laughs> I would watch it. Speaking of things that you should watch, it sounds like it's time for us to get into Love Bites. Uh, but before we do that, quick little housekeeping moment. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at NecromancerPod. You can email us questions, thoughts, feedback, nuances about the differences between cultures to NecromancerPodcast at gmail.com. We're always interested in a thoughtful discussion. And then you can also find us on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast. So contact us, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Yeah, please do all of that stuff and come have fun with us. Yes. Now on to the extra fun stuff. Do you have a love bite for this week? Uh, I have a very good love bite for my next one, but I, uh, I'm i going to default to you again on this one to go Okay. First. Okay, well... Uh, I'm splitting up my recommendations over these next two episodes. Uh, it was so difficult for me to think of which Korean dramas to recommend to go with this episode. Uh, and since we did My Sassy Girl first, I'm going to recommend a little drama from 2007 called Flowers for My Life. And the lead in that drama is the same guy who was in My Sassy Girl, except this time, uh, well, not except this time. Also this time, he's playing somewhat of a lovable loser. Uh, He's a guy who doesn't really have a penny to his name, but somehow gets involved with a, a loan to another person because he signs up as a guarantor. And then the female lead is a woman who works in a funeral home and she has decided that she wants to find a rich guy and a rich guy who's going to die young, marry him, and then inherit all his money. So she mistakes our lovable loser for a rich guy because of complications when really he doesn't have a penny to his name and then they start to fall for each other. It's a really witty, fun, melodramatic (laughs) Korean drama. (laughs) 
And, and I think that it has a really sweet message about love and death and it taking place mostly in a funeral home gives it kind of a more mature vibe than I think some other K-dramas. So it would be probably a good one to start with if you've never seen one. Very nice. Uh, what's it called again? Flowers for My Life. Flowers for my life. I like it. Um, yeah, so I, I've been sitting on this one for quite a while. I think it's a good time to drop it. Um, I watched a movie called Bride Wars with Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway. A rom-com I, recommendation. I, I'm going to recommend Brett. this rom-com, man. We're, we're, in, we're in the rom-com episode. I got to say... Bride Wars was a freaking great movie, man. I had a lot of fun with it. Had a lot of cool actors here and there that just popped up. Uh, Anne Hathaway is... I, I I think Anne Hathaway can pretty much do no wrong. Uh, I don't like every movie she's in, but I like her in every movie. Kate Hudson is not someone that I typically watch a lot of her movies, but I thought she did a great job in this movie. The premise is these two best friends are obsessed with weddings and then they both have to have their wedding on the same day. So now they're going to sabotage each other's weddings to make theirs better. And it's, it is kind of like a, an, I saw the devil. It's kind of going to go into, I saw the devil (laughs) remake rom-com pitch territory where it's just like, you're watching these two characters make things miserable for each other. But at no point in the movie did I think like, ugh, like this is just awkward or whatever. It just, it was fun. The whole movie was just really fun uh, the whole way through. And yeah, I just, you know, if you can buy into that premise, like Broken Arrow, if you can buy into the premise of Broken Arrow within the first 20 minutes, the rest of the movie is just a fun roller coaster. And if you if you buy into the premise of two two best friends, it's not all girls are obsessed with weddings, but it's like these two women are obsessed with weddings, and now they have to share the their one special day with each other. Oh no, that's not going to go over well. But you know, it's it's a happy ending. It's cute, and like with um with truth about cats and dogs, I when I texted you about this to see if you had seen it, I was like, man. I think the movie should just end up with Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson together. Like they, they clearly are meant to be together at the end of this movie. And so, yeah. Uh, Bride Wars. I did not think I would enjoy it at all. I thought I was going to fall asleep during it, but I had a great time. I just love that you are recommending a romantic comedy that I've never seen that yeah. you watched without making me watch you without me making you do it you chose to watch this movie yeah. and i'm just i i'm awed and pleased i can't believe it i mean well tenet came out and christopher nolan makes movies so i was like you know he makes some good movies i'll watch dark knight rises again and i watched dark knight rises again and i was like man anne hathaway she fucking crushes it in dark knight rises and i was like you know i just want a light fluffy anne hathaway movie Rolled the dice, went with Bride Wars, and I got to say, very pleasantly surprised. That is awesome. 
All right. Well, I guess that is all for today, folks. Smell you later. Oh, wait. I have. Oh, wait. What? At the end of the last episode, I didn't have like a, a way to end it. And so I don't have a good way to end this episode, but I have a good way to end last episode. Okay. And last, last episode, we watched The Mist. And so at the end of the episode, I should have said, uh, until next, see, see you guys next week. And, until then, you will be missed. Ah! Uh, maybe <laughs> next episode, maybe next week, I'll think of a good ending for this one. Well, you will be missed. <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.